alone among the creatures of the world man suffers a pang both bitter and sweet it's an ache for the homecoming the greeks called it nostalgia postmodern man homeless almost by definition cannot understand nostalgia if he is a progressive dreaming of a utopia to come he dismisses it contemptuously eager to bury a past he despises if he is a reactionary he sentimentalizes it dreaming of a lost golden age this is for his namesake There, guys. So, coming back at you with a new episode of Forest Namesake. This is Chris. Glad to be with you. So, we're just going to go ahead and uh, start off with a little bit of housekeeping. So, I've got a Patreon if anybody's interested, just to let you know. I'm not uh, out here spanging or anything, but, uh, you know, if the Lord um, leads you to uh, bless this ministry, it would be greatly appreciated, and, and uh, God would be glorified through it, of course. We need a uh, new equipment so we can do a little bit better editing and recording looking to hopefully get a laptop and uh yeah that would uh, definitely bless us so anyways moving on today's episode is going to be on nostalgia and uh sensukt or zensukt rather and uh you know i've been thinking about doing this for a while and at first and uh advertised it as just going to do the word the etymology of the word zensukt which in itself definitely has quite a bit, and we will get into that, and uh, definitely in this episode as well. But nostalgia is just so near and dear to my heart for various reasons. I mean, as I was thinking about all the stuff that I could do, you know, concerning just this topic, it's like mind-numbing. Um, it's almost too much, and me being an analytical thinker, it uh, it doesn't really help. So when I uh, looked up a book and by the name of a... Um, uh, from a guy by the name of uh, Anthony Ellison, and it really helped sort of direct a little bit um, more of the idea for which I really kind of, well, just wasn't even completely sure how to go about, and uh, just, you know, sort of fine-tuned a few ideas I may have had, and uh, definitely glad and better for it. That's one of the cool things about doing podcasts. You have to do a little bit of research, obviously, and you need to uh, know what you're talking about and have a firm, um, you know, epistemology. So uh, anyways, as I was looking into this, um, you know, I found out a few different things about nostalgia I hadn't known. One of the things was nostalgia is actually a more seen as a painful thing uh, because of a reminder. Uh, like in World War II, um, you would have generally heard about uh, soldiers who would have been thinking about home and they were longing and pining for home and it, it literally hurt them. It was a physical pain, uh, nostalgia. And even uh, closer related to depression in that era, uh, in that cultural context at the time. And uh, that really kind of surprised me because generally when I think of nostalgia, I think of the 1940s, what they wore, you know, I mean, the uh, patriotism and um, America coming together, the unification aspect and, um, you know, the simpler times, you know, the the halcyon days, if you will, you know, uh, where people cared more about each other, slept with their uh, doors unlocked and, and, and all these wonderful things. And, and those things are generally true. And I think there's some psychological aspect to it that, you know, we sort of long for those days. And so as I started to do a little bit of research on this and, and reading more into it, like I said, that uh, book, and which is also the quote in the beginning of this episode as well is from uh, Anthony there. And um, 
anyway, as I was looking into this and uh, sort of talking to my wife about it, um, sort of airing out some things and trying to get my, my hands on it the best that I could, um, I sort of thought of an illustration on the fly as I was trying to explain it to my wife, which is generally funny enough when the best illustrations come to me uh, a lot of times. And one of the things I thought about with my mother's passing this um, past couple weeks now, um, just before Christmas, about a week before Christmas, um, before she passed, I, once we moved back here to uh, Arizona, a town that I grew up in for 27 years, in my BC years before I knew the Lord, and um, one of the uh, things to which... I, uh, I do periodically as I go take a, a little drive down to my mom's old house. It's her old house. She doesn't live there anymore. Someone else moved in. But, you know, one of the things about nostalgia that's interesting is, um, in this case, I would drive down there and, and um, you know, think of old thoughts of friends. Hey, I ran these streets when I was a kid. And, you know, uh, down this street, I rode my bike. And my dogs used to live in that backyard. I slept in the room over there on that side, you know. All these little things and such that... Um, just really, um, you know, interesting reminiscing about it and, uh, not really painful for me. It's actually kind of a blessing to sort of reminisce on it. Uh, in my case, I can't say that for everybody. I don't know everyone, everyone's situation for me. It is on the other hand, I, I, I rather quite enjoy it when I can do it, uh, while I can do it. Um, it teaches us many lessons, I think in some aspects. And, uh, with that, uh, illustration, I was, Telling my wife, I said, um, you know, it's interesting. I said, in the nostalgia, you know, it's like, I go, sure, I go drive down my mom's house and I see stuff there, but I, I can't no longer live there. I can't stop and say hi to my mom. She no longer lives there. Uh, I can visit, uh, you know, at least the, um, the facade. I can hang out, but I can't go back and sleep in my old room. I can't hang out there. I can't, um, uh, you know, see my mom again, you know, things like this. And just sort of thinking about that and, and, relevance to uh, the Christian worldview. And um, one of the cool things that I got from that book as well by uh, Anthony Ellison there is uh, this quote. He says, nostalgia rightly understood is not an invitation to repeat the sins of the past or to repudiate what experience and reflection have taught us, but to hear the call of sanity and sweetness again. Perhaps we will shake our heads as if awakening from a bad and feverish dream and coming to ourselves, resolve like the prodigal, arise and go to my father's house. And this is obviously more of a, a Christian presupposition on nostalgia. And it really got me to thinking. And uh, one of the scriptures that that brought up for me was 2 Corinthians 5.1. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.1, of course, tells us, quote, For we know that if our earthly houses of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And as I was thinking about that and meditating, sure, I can't go back and I can't stay at, you know, my old house I grew up in. I can't live there by any stretch of the imagination. And I certainly don't have the money to uh, appropriate that possibility in and of itself anyway. But I can go and enjoy it. And it sort of reminded me of the old story of thank you for your jewels. And I think I've used the illustration on here before. And it's just an appreciation of things. And the appreciation appreciation of it is much different rather than the idolization of it, or rather the longing for it, again, if you will, which tends to lead to more pain. And uh, the thank you for your jewels illustration goes like this, the short version of it anyway. There was a, um, a gentleman who worked for a king and was a servant, and he would come to him periodically, and he would tell him, thank you for your jewels. 
And finally, the king gets tired of this after five or six times. And he says, listen, buddy, I need to know what this whole thank you for your jewels business is about. And he says to the king, he says, well, sir, you own these jewels. You have to clean them, insure them. You put them away every night. You had to pay an absorbent amount of money for them. And yet I get to come before you every day and I get to look at them for free. So, sir, I'd rather just thank you for your jewels. And uh, this teaches us something. There's an appreciation for things to which we don't have to pay for. And um, within the realm of nostalgia, I like the idea, sure, of World War II, but I didn't have to go through World War II either. But rather, I get to reflect on um, what those who did um, and, and the lessons of the past. And it, it does bring with it, uh, for us who didn't have to go through it, a bit of a nostalgia for a time that we never had to pay a price to live in. And as I was thinking about this, it's the same thing with the Lord. The Lord paid a price we couldn't pay, right, to redeem us by his grace through faith, that which we cannot bring anything to the king uh, in order to in order to uh, pay him for. So we simply say, thank you, Lord, for buying that which I could not afford. And the nostalgia aspect of it gives us this right appreciation. And uh, 2 Corinthians 5.1, of course, gives us that same kind of idea, that we have a home not made with hands, but rather that was bought for us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so the appreciation aspect gives us a bit better understanding of how to I think at least rightly reflect on nostalgia and to give us the benefit of the reflecting on it and even uh, periodically reminiscing on those things to which the Lord has brought us through. And we can glorify God for that rather than sticking in the past and looking for something to which an era we can never go back to, but we can learn from. And I think nostalgia rightly appropriated gives us this benefit and yet cost us nothing to learn from it but will certainly cost us, of course, as the saying goes, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And so I rather appreciate the lessons that we see from Paul and Peter and John and, and the apostles from the word of God that we also can appreciate what those brothers went through and those sisters went through who were martyred and things of this as well. And we know that the lessons which they learned were also not in vain. And so the great thing about nostalgia is that we can appreciate the lessons from it we can enjoy the era and the history and, and things to this degree without ever having to live in it. And there are people who do this, in fact, and I do actually admittedly like a lot of the shows they have, even on YouTube. Um, there's a woman who goes by the name of uh, Sage, I believe. She has a channel on YouTube where she literally seems to do her best to live in the past, literally live in the 1940s and 50s, and uh, where she literally tries Jack LaLanne exercises, she literally lives uh, in a house to which she is redecorating uh, completely 1940s slash 50s and uh, even did a couple of ex uh, social experiments where she lived as if it was the 1940s uh, and did all the same things a normal 1940s slash 50s housewife would have done for her husband. And uh, it's very interesting. Like I said, I definitely find it interesting, but um, I certainly want to, would not want to go through the war to which uh, they did there in the uh, 1940s, you know, to have to learn those lessons. So she gets the benefits of enjoying the lifestyle without having to pay the price for it. Um, some of the other things like WandaVision, uh, same thing. Um, and just even reflecting on WW2 uh, or uh, World War II, as it were. Uh, WandaVision, of course, being a um, 
uh, coming from, uh, well, I forget off the top of my head, I think it's DC Comic. I could be wrong. Don't don't kill me over that if I'm wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do write, uh, rather enjoy the show, though, and basically the premise is in WandaVision, at least the, um, the ones they've shown so far, I don't think they're going to have another one. I think they're done with WandaVision for the season, obviously, uh, is that uh, one of the um, characters... Uh, creates a facade of a world to live in basically through uh, pharmacia through witchcraft and it's basically so that she can cope with uh, the uh, man that she lost in her life and a lot of her friends that she lost in her life and basically she creates this facade this literal false reality to what she can live in and uh, this teaches us a lesson as well um, those who choose to live in a false reality that um, only propagates a a false narrative sound familiar right kind of like the direction our world's heading in and I almost kind of sometimes wonder if it's not almost predictive uh, what do they call that predictive um, uh, manipulation if you will in a sense right like um, when you tend to um, uh, push a kind of narrative to the point where sure it's not exactly realistic for instance people who uh, virtue signal, right? They, they make their whole life about the pain that they have or the issues they have and whatnot and just continually force that pain onto other people, right? Because hurt people hurt people. And a lot of times we see this in other various areas too. But uh, I digress anyway, not to go too far down that rabbit trail. But um, anyway, <clears throat> you know, this whole idea of living in another alternate reality nostalgia has a way to sort of lend itself to this and we have to be careful and rather the reality to which we want to live in is the god-shaped reality the real reality for we wrestle not against uh flesh and blood but spirits and principalities knowing that there's another realm to which we must daily deal with and that uh, daily uh, there is a very real war going on it may not be ww uh two or uh, World War II or World War One or uh, the Korean War or whatever whatever uh, fancy we might hold to as the uh, nostalgic um, taste to which we uh, ascribe to, if you will. But um, there's a very real war to be fought every day. We get up and uh, we get on our knees and we face that war and we uh, take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, uh, recognizing that reality uh, comes in the form of um, arrows, right? As Ephesians six tells us, and we take those arrows and quench them with the fire, or we quench the fiery darts of the enemy with the shield of faith, and we get up and walk by faith, not by sight, and uh, recognizing that that's a very real thing going on every single day, and uh, it's um, you know sometimes even nostalgic to think about what God's brought us through to some degree. But rather, like I said, pointing back towards the appreciation of it and giving God all the glory, praise, and honor for that. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we could really elaborate more into that, of course, and get more into that. But we're going to go ahead and uh, break off here, and we're going to go ahead and go into the uh, quick commercial break. Um, and uh, I will see you guys on the other side. And uh, we're going to go ahead and break into a bit of a zinsukt. And uh, we're going to look at that from a biblical perspective and, and see what the Lord shows us concerning scripture. And um, I will see you guys on the other side of that. All right. Are you a Christian business looking to advertise but don't have a lot of money? Would you like to advertise on an up and coming podcast with growing listenership? 
Well, guess what? Four's namesake is looking for your business then. We're offering one month free advertising with a one minute slot just for your product. For the months of January, go ahead and contact me on Facebook at Christian Views and News, 1 Thessalonians 521 via Messenger, or at Crazy Drummer of Doom at Yahoo.com. We look forward to your business. May the Lord bless you abundantly in all that money cannot buy. All right, and we're back from the uh, other side of the commercial break there. And uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into um, the other half of this uh, conversation, if you will, and um, get into the uh, etymology or the word uh, Zinsucht, a uh, German word, once again, derived from uh, German uh, philosophy, if you will. And uh, the, um, the basic way I can describe it, it's a longing for the unobtainable that is both an ache and a pleasure. C.S. Lewis gives us a little bit about this um, when he talks about uh, in Dimer, and he uses the word Zinsucht, and he says, quote, <clears throat> From the least of age six, romantic longing had played an unusually central part in my experience. This is Lewis speaking. Such longing is in itself the very reverse of wishful thinking. It is more like thoughtful wishing, but it throws off what may be called systems of imagery. Now, when we think about Zinsukt, one of the main operating aspects of this to which I generally think about uh, personally um, in as far as concerning uh, what my life was like before Christ and it was a continual chasing after pleasure. And one of my favorite quotes concerning this was uh, from G.K. Chesterton, and that is, Meaninglessness does not come from growing weary of pain. No, meaninglessness, rather, comes from growing weary of pleasure. Now, really really let that sink in. Think about that. Meditate on it. It's much deeper than, than may come off at first. And believe it or not, it took me a while to... To really get my head around this, but once you do, it makes perfect sense, especially uh, if you get into the um, into the book of Proverbs, and uh, of course, if uh, you get into the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, gives us a, a great wealth of knowledge concerning um, basically that um, generally speaking, pleasures. When you continually chase pleasures, eventually you get tired of chasing pleasures. It gets old. You, you have one conquer af conquering aspect after another. Uh, for me, it was alcoholism, drinking night after night after night, uh, continually uh, looking for new pleasures one way or the other, and always finding myself empty, right? But why? Because I was in love with the chase of something that could never fulfill me. And Zinsukt is kind of this opining, this sort of chasing after the wind, this sort of chasing after what will never be, but yet being in love with the chase. You understand? And there's so many in our culture today that are just simply in love with the chase. They're not really after any ends in mind. It's a very postmodern way of thinking, existentialist sort of way of uh, thinking, right? Very Oscar Wilde, if you will. And uh, existentialism, of course, is eat and drink tonight for tomorrow we die. This sort of um, careless thinking, you know, a very postmodern Marxist kind of thinking and never has any real ends in mind other than pleasure. But when pain becomes an aspect, life is sharpened 
when it's painful. Life is very sharpened when it's painful. Things come into a very quick, uh, solid vision and understanding. You really know what you actually care about in life. You really begin to think about what really matters in life when you're in pain. And, um, and, and uh, whether that's from the passing of somebody, whether that's from physical pain, cancer, or uh, or, or just even a car accident or, or broken bone or whatever the case may be. It really brings life into focus immediately. And you begin to really think about what you appreciate, what you don't appreciate, what you wish you had uh, done before said accident or before this, that, or the other thing. And things that really matter to you become much more sharpened respectfully in those areas. Uh, obviously, Paul knowing this from uh, the thorn in his side to which the Lord had given him. And yet, you know, Paul understood that uh, this was to bring God glory. And that's essentially, as, from a Christian perspective, we understand that. Uh, generally speaking, God tends to use um, pain in the unbeliever's life to bring them to a place of repentance a lot of times. And uh, once, you know, uh, the unbeliever begins to see this, generally, once again, also begins to reflect on their life and, and God willing comes to Christ, uh, the great physician. But in the meantime, um, for the existentialist, anything that's outside of the world of pleasure uh, tends not to make sense to them. So once again, meaninglessness, meaninglessness, meaninglessness is all they will derive from life because they're, they're continual chasing after the wind. And like I said, they're in love with the chasing of the wind itself. But the Lord gives us a really great perspective on this as he does all things. And uh, one of the great perspectives that God gives us on this is uh, rather interesting. Uh, one of them, of course, is my favorite. Uh, we have an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage. We have Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsake, <clears throat> forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Think about that. They have hewed themselves cisterns that can hold no water. That means the things to which they're chasing are all for nothing. They come to nothing. They mean nothing. Therefore, meaninglessness. Vanity, 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 right? So, yet the Lord, when he runs into somebody in whom was having a bit of a crisis, whether she realized it or not, had an answer for this, didn't he? As he meets the woman at the well. And he begins to talk to her in Matthew 7, and he goes on to say, uh, 14, verse 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Verse 15, The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. So, what we see is a parallel contrast here. It's very simple. The world, what it offers, is broken cisterns. What the Lord offers, rather, is living water. Water to which that is constantly moving. He gives us the Holy Spirit, the living water. That when you're born again of the Holy Spirit, existentialism is seen for what it is. That uh, everything becomes more sharpened, rather, right? Once you're born again of the Holy Spirit, you're being given a new nature. You put off the old man, you put on the new man. Jesus Christ, of course, and you begin to walk in the Spirit, doing those things to which no longer meet the lust of the flesh, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. You can go ahead and look at that for yourself. And uh, rather putting on those things that which please God, for which we are created to do. Those works before we were ever even born. And those are the things to which our life begins to make sense. 
that when we get away from this constant chasing after the wind, finding pleasure in the chase of um, uh, after these uh, vanities, after these pleasures to which we'll never meet uh, our flesh because the flesh continually cries more and more and more, right? And uh, zensukt is this sort of sadness that it, it will never find what it's looking for and yet once again is in love with the chase of it. Whereas the Lord Jesus says, nah, listen, you're thirsty. You've been running a long time. Why don't you have a drink of what I have to offer and quit running after these things that will do nothing for you? They're broken cisterns and rather drink of that water to which once you've drunk, you will never be thirsty again. Never. And this is a promise of the Lord. And remember, God is eternal. That means this water he gives is eternal. That it, it, it never runs dry, folks. Never runs dry. So what is it going to be? Zinsukt, the world, a continual love for the chase of the passions to which you always find vanity in, right? And this thing to which you will never truly be satisfied. Or is it going to be the living water of the Lord Jesus Christ? This is what we ought to be more focused in on. Of course, David also had a great passage as well as my mother-in-law uh, brought this up in a conversation where uh, David talks about that he would be like the deer, right? Panting after this water, that that's how he desired the Lord, that he would have that desire for the Lord. So rather the, the love of the chase for that which is vanity, rather once you're born again, becomes a love for the seeking of God continually daily in our life, that we trade, that there's a diametrically opposed contrast here, a Hebraism, if you will, that once when we were in the world, we chased after these things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Whereas once you're born again, rather you seek those things of God, that those are the things to which you desire to do with your new nature, and that those things are what will truly fulfill you as we were literally created to please God, as it says in the book of Revelation. That was your, if you ever ask yourself the question, what was I created for? Simple, bud. This simple. I'm blow your mind. Are you ready? To please God. That's right. And what pleases God? Faith. Pistos. That's right. Or confide uh, from the Latin. Confidence. Meaning to lean into the integrity that which is Jesus Christ. To trust him through thick and thin, through uh, through hell, through um, uh, every wave that crashes upon you in life and so forth, that the Lord God Almighty, who has filled you with his Holy Spirit, who has given you everything you could possibly want in life and godliness found in the word of God, the Logos, that which was the word that dwelt amongst us, the Lord Jesus Christ himself now dwells inside you and will fulfill those things to which you yourself could have never found in the world and never will find in the world. The Lord loves you with an eternal love, an agape love, a love that is selfless. How do we know that? John 3, 16. For the Lord loved you enough to give you his own begotten son to die for your sins. That's what he gave you. What more could you possibly ask for? You know, there's there's many good men that might die for another man, okay? Might might give his life for another man, right? But but never in the way the which Jesus Christ gave his life for you. You see, you have to understand you're an enemy of God. Never do we find in any other religion in the world or anything else two very distinct things where God gave himself for his followers and grace 
That's right. You never find any other religion that preaches grace. This is what draws us to the Lord. That's right. Unmerited favor. God gives us that which we don't deserve. He gives us eternal life through the precious blood of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And so, anyway, um, although that was, I believe, um, one of the main things I wanted to get across to you. Um, the other side of this thing is something that I think often is missed in the Christian life. And it, it's really bad. Um, and something I need to be a bit better about myself, of course. And that's when we look at situations that we do fall back into pain and we begin to desire pleasure rather than seeking God. And we begin to sort of sneak our, our little butts into this kind of idea of Zinsukt again in a different sort of uh, demonically, you know, manipulated way. And that's when we begin to fall into pain. We start to look for things to relieve that pain, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, things of the world rather than God. And we don't want to make that mistake. Remember God, as C.S. Lewis said, is even louder in our pain that, that he whispers in our pleasures, but he screams in our pain and he screams. What is he screaming? He's screaming that I'm right there with you that this should draw you closer to me. Not because God's some kind of weirdo sadist or masochist. By no means whatsoever. It's just that God knows that this is but a light affliction and that this too shall pass. Yes, this too shall pass is not scripture. <laughs> Necessarily, not in context anyway. But it will. It will pass. And how do we know? Because it's light and it's fleeting. It will, it, it may, as Chuck Smith tells a great joke, he says this, there was a, an old, uh, an old gospel lady in the South, and um, she used to like to play the old Bible lottery, where she would open up the scripture at a random point in the Bible, and uh, you know she'd pray about it and say, "Lord, show me. I need help. I need help." And so finally, um, she uh, opens up the scripture and she turns this super obscure scripture where it's talking about nothing about anything that would possibly minister to her, uh, seemingly anyway, without knowing any better. And finally, uh, the pastor says, you know, you've just been doing so much better. What, what did you find in that passage? And she goes, well, it said in here, it said that it, it may have come to, <laughs> that, 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 that uh, it, it didn't come to stay. That, that this problem, this trouble I'm going through right now, it didn't come to stay. That it came to pass. That's right. It's not going to stay here forever. And folks, that's what I want you to focus on. I want you to focus on the Lord. Whatever you're going through right now, I don't care what it is. I know it's covid crap if it's. Uh, your job getting ready to fire you, if it's whatever the heck it might be, just give it over to the Lord and let Him minister to you. Um, I preach this to myself daily, um, especially today, um, you know, going through a lot of stuff with my job and whatnot. But God is gracious. He'll take care of us. He always has. Matthew 6.33, as long as we seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto us, that we know His will for us is perfect and holy and righteous and good. And that he will hold no good thing from us. And so, brothers and sisters, I just hope that this blesses you. And uh, once again, please share it. And uh, to other brothers and sisters on Christ, want to give a good shout out to Kristen Lynn, always listening to it. And uh, to Brother Gary Weaver and to my beautiful and amazing wife, Stephanie Wright, and my, my amazing, beautiful children, all four of them. Uh, Lily Lana Wright, uh, appreciate prayers for her, as well as Rowan Evan Lagosh, And, of course, my two beautiful babies here in the house. And that's uh, Abby and uh, Wesley. So... Anyways, from the Wright family, Lord bless you and have a happy new year. We love all of you guys and may you be richly blessed in all that money cannot buy. Love you guys. Bye.